We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. It's Wednesday, December 28th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, it is our second day of end of the year best of programming. Today, from the Cool Stuff Ride Home's archives, how Polynesian voyagers navigated the oceans without compasses or maps, and how a new generation is bringing back those traditional skills. Plus, Waffle House's earnest and hilarious record label, and looking at the dress seven years on, did that viral moment lay the groundwork for our climate of misinformation today? Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. As a massive, lifelong fan of Waffle House, I've prided myself on knowing certain fun facts about the carb-loaded southern breakfast chain, like the Waffle House Index, a metric of disaster readiness and recovery based on whether Waffle House is open, operating on a limited menu, or closed, and which is unofficially used by FEMA in gauging their disaster response. And that the iconic jukeboxes still holding court in every restaurant include Easter eggs, a couple of sunny-side-up songs about Waffle House itself. But what I was shamefully unaware of until today is that it's not just a couple of songs on the jukebox. Waffle House has its own record label. Waffle Records was established in 1984, starting from an idea of the restaurant's co-founder, Joe Rogers Sr., who was apparently pretty discerning about the music he wanted associated with the chain. But if a song managed to get picked, it would be pressed onto a 45 and then distributed to Waffle House jukeboxes around the nation. Nowadays, the tracks are distributed digitally, so it's a bit of an easier process, and there are so many. At least 47, in fact. And just like the many ways you can order your hash browns, smothered, covered, chunked, or diced, the songs come in all varieties, from country and rock to R&B, pop, and gospel. All the songs focus on menu items or the experience of being at a Waffle House. As Shelby White, head of Waffle Records, explained to NPR in 2016, quote, It's not Waffle House, Waffle House, Waffle House over and over again. It's about our food. It's about our people. It's about the things that happen if you just sit in a Waffle House and listen to the conversations around you. We try to represent all of that to some degree in the songs, end quote. Here is a listen to the very first song from 1984 performed by Mary Welch Rogers, Waffle House Family. Just say good morning. Good morning. The Waffle House way. I like it that way. We've got eggs anyway. You like them 24 hours a day. Just come on in. Come on in. You'll see. You'll see. We're gonna treat. Other songs from Waffle Records include the oldies There Are Raisins in My Toast, the gospel They're Cooking Up My Order, the folksy ballad Life is Like a Cup of Coffee, a prog rock song from the perspective of a grill operator, and of course a Christmas single called This is the Night. 
It is so hard to pick a favorite, but here is a fun one. It is a pop-punk love song about the classic menu item, Burt's Chili. Followed her and found the truth In the Waffle House corner booth I said, what's he got that I ain't got? She said, here he comes now and baby he's hot I can't tell you how much those words hurt She said, baby it's only Bert The music videos for Burt's Chili and others are delightfully low budget. One newer song that I am unironically digging right now, called Summertime and Lemonade, has a line about hopping into a limo and shows a minivan with a single piece of poster board on it and the word limo scrawled on it. Iconic. I think it's gonna be the song of the summer. Now, outside of my personal playlists, the songs aren't going to be topping the charts anytime soon. They don't even get more than 1% of plays on the Waffle House jukeboxes. But that doesn't seem to be the point. For Waffle House, it's about extending the experience and just having fun. Plus, they don't need the Grammys or the Billboard charts. Waffle Records has its own award show. The Waffle House Toonies honors the year's top-played Waffle House jukebox artists and also names a scattered, smothered, and discovered artist of the year. Not someone from the Waffle Records lineup per se, but rather an aspiring artist from somewhere in Waffle Country. Boing Boing notes that last year's winner was Kim Cruz, an R&B artist from Texas whose single Don't You Wanna Go is the newest addition to the Waffle House jukebox. And if you want to listen to all of the delightful, over-easy songs from Waffle House Records, you can explore various tracks at the links in the show notes, which includes Waffle Records' official Spotify and music videos on their main website. I can barely drive to a new place without using Google Maps, but some voyagers in Polynesia have been sailing thousands of miles without the use of any maps or modern technology. Just the stars, the wind, the sun, wildlife, and ancient methods passed down through the generations to steer them. Spearheading this movement to return to traditional forms of seafaring is the Polynesian Voyaging Society, or PVS, which formed in 1976. PVS built a double-hold sailing canoe, Hokulea, and reached out to one of the only remaining master navigators in Polynesia, who had been trained by his grandfather. Their goal was to revive the ancient customs, prove it was and always had been possible, and try to reclaim pride for their culture and heritage, which had been oppressed and shamed for centuries. Quoting the BBC, Polynesian wayfinders intuited Mother Nature's signals to successfully migrate among and settle more than 1,000 scattered islands across the Polynesian Triangle between New Zealand, Hawaii, and Easter Island. But after European and U.S. colonization in the late 1800s, history classes throughout Polynesia told a different story. Children were taught that wayfinding long distances was impossible without instruments. Instead, they were told ancient Polynesians drifted directionless, accidentally stumbling upon then settling the Pacific Islands. The dismissive history lessons, paired with colonizers prohibiting native languages and cultural events in places like Tahiti and Hawaii, sowed decades of sorrow and fury on many Pacific islands, end quote. 
When the first PVS crew successfully sailed Hokulea nearly 4,000 miles from Hawaii to Tahiti, a 33-day journey without the aid of navigational instruments, believed to be the first such journey in hundreds of years, they were met by a crowd of 17,000 celebrating Tahitians and helped launch a renaissance of traditional Polynesian culture and pride. Now, it wasn't all smooth sailing in the beginning. The master navigator they originally reached out to, Mao Piailug, gave up on them during that initial journey, leaving them with just some instructions he recorded on a tape. He'd been frustrated by the crew's infighting and lack of discipline. On the next journey they attempted, without Piailug, the ship capsized and they lost one of their own. Eventually, PVS founder Nainoa Thompson convinced Piailog to return, to help them pass on the skills and traditions so that the knowledge would not die with him. It went against tradition for the knowledge to be shared outside Piailog's family and community, but he recognized the importance of keeping the tradition alive. And the last rule that Thompson asked Piailog to bend before he passed away was allowing women to become master navigators and undergo the sacred Po ceremony. Piailog would not perform the ceremony himself, but he told Thompson, who had been initiated previously, that he could. In the almost 50 years since the organization was founded, and the thousands of voyagers and navigators they have trained, no women have received Poe just yet. But PVS Voyaging Director Lehua Kamalu is well on her way. In May, she completed the 3,000-mile, 20-day journey from the Big Island in Hawaii to Tahiti, following the ancestral sea road created by Pele, the Hawaiian goddess of fire. Kamalu told National Geographic, quote, She's a goddess, but she's also a woman who is the first to truly navigate and open up the pathway from Tahiti to Hawaii. So even though we don't hear the stories of the female figures who came after her, that is a very, very powerful story to consider and to think about. End quote. Kamalu is the first female captain and navigator of Hokulea, the same ship PVS first sailed on in the 70s, and she's the first known woman to captain and navigate a long-distance ocean voyage without modern navigational technology, which she did back in 2018. And just how does one navigate thousands of miles without a GPS or even a map or compass? Constant observation of your surroundings. Wind, currents, and the sun during the day, the stars at night, after you've memorized an extensive map of hundreds of stars, and different types of birds as you get closer to land. All of these are constantly changing as you move, and you must analyze them in concert with one another along the journey. Thompson says on the PVS website that navigators are usually awake for 21 to 22 hours a day, only getting catnaps when they can, and that when you start out, you're using a lot of geometry and math to work out the ancient navigational tactics, but over time, you start to internalize it all and can feel it. He shares an anecdote about training under Piailog, who went to sleep and told Thompson to navigate overnight. Thompson wanted to challenge himself and changed course, just to see what would happen. When Piailog woke up, he knew where they were. He'd been able to feel the change and the direction of the change even while lying in bed in the hull of the ship. As Kamalu explained it, quote, You're the only one who knows where we've been. You've added it all up in your head, and it's pretty hard to convey that to someone else. You're constantly keeping track of your progress along that ancestral pathway. End quote. 
Kamalu may one day become the first woman to receive Po, but for now, she's going to keep sailing. And PVS is gearing up for its 50th anniversary with a five-year, 41,000-mile circumnavigation of the Pacific Ocean. And along the way, they plan to continue teaching young navigators and sharing the stories of their various cultures with a goal of reaching 10 million people by 2026. It's 2015. The first feature-length Star Wars film in a decade is about to come out. Trevor Noah has just taken over The Daily Show, while Larry Wilmore begins an ill-fated stint in Stephen Colbert's old time slot, while Colbert moves over to The Late Show on CBS. Adele and Drake are making phone calls cool again with hello and hotline bling. Barack Obama is still in office, and the U.S. women's soccer team wins the World Cup for the third time. And in early February, most of the world becomes a obsessed with a grainy photo of a blue dress. Or was it white and gold? It's been seven years since the internet was thrust into chaos debating the real color of the dress depicted in the photo, and one neuroscientist, Pascal Wallish, has some takeaways. Wallish, whose research is concentrated on consciousness and perception, got funding from NYU while the dress was still going viral in order to properly study the phenomenon in his lab. And some of his findings are summarized in David McGraney's new book, How Minds Change, The Surprising Science of Belief, Opinion, and Persuasion, an adapted excerpt of which was published in Wired last week. So, as a reminder of just how much the dress dominated public attention for a while there, Wired notes that at its peak, the hashtag TheDress was appearing in 11,000 tweets per minute, and Twitter itself repeatedly crashed for people trying to go online to understand how there could possibly be people who saw such a different image from them. Surely someone was trolling them, right? Right? Because if not, then what other objects in the world are we perceiving as vastly different from others around us? If two people can look at the same image and see completely different colors, what even are colors? What even is reality? Given this whole conundrum occurred just shortly before the advent of alternative facts and fake news heralded the resurgence of mass conspiratorial thinking and cults like QAnon, it almost, in retrospect, feels like it set the stage for some of that. And maybe it did. After all, as McRaney writes, quote, for many, the dress was an introduction to something neuroscience has understood for a long while. The fact that reality itself, as we experience it, isn't a perfect one-to-one -one account of the world around us. The world, as you experience it, is a simulation running inside your skull, a waking dream. We each live in a virtual landscape of perpetual imagination and self-generated illusion, a hallucination informed over our lifetimes by our senses and thoughts about them, updated continuously as we bring in new experiences via those senses and think new thoughts about what we have sensed. If you didn't know this, for many, the dress demanded you either take to your keyboard to shout into the abyss, or take a seat and ponder your place in the grand scheme of things. End quote. The viral dress itself, colors aside, had a bit of this effect on Wallace, the neuroscientist. Having spent years studying visual processing and photoreceptors in the retinas, even he was stunned by the dress. McRaney describes him as being, quote, like a biologist learning that doctors had just discovered a new organ in the body, 
end quote. So some quick eye and color science here. The colors that we see are different wavelengths of electromagnetic energy that come from a source of light. And when the light collides with an object, the object absorbs some of the wavelengths and others bounce off. Quoting McRaney, Whatever is left behind goes through a hole in our heads called the pupil and strikes the retinas at the back of the eyes, where it all gets translated into the electrochemical buzz of neurons that the brain then uses to construct the subjective experience of seeing colors. Because most natural light is red, green, and blue combined, a lemon absorbs the blue wavelengths, leaving behind the red and green to hit our retinas, which the brain then combines into the subjective experience of seeing a yellow lemon. The color, though, exists only in the mind. In consciousness, yellow is a figment of the imagination. The reason we tend to agree that lemons are yellow, and lemons, is because all our brains pretty much create the same figment of the imagination when light hits lemons and then bounces into our heads. End quote. But, as the dress and many other visual illusions demonstrate, we don't always agree on what we see. Think about the Reuben vase, that image that sometimes looks like a vase and sometimes looks like two silhouetted faces looking at each other. When we encounter something we can't immediately interpret, our brains, without us actively being aware of it, disambiguates the image. We rely on previous experiences, things we've seen before, things we know, to disambiguate the unfamiliar image or object. Illusions like the Rubin vase are called bistable visual illusions. There are two possible interpretations, and while you can only see one at a time, you can usually see both if you think about it. For the dress, it was bistable, but each individual person could only ever see one of the two possible color combinations. During his study, Wallace hypothesized that some form of disambiguation was happening. After all, this image was a little bit weird. It was taken on an old phone by Cecilia Bleasdale inside of a shop to text her daughter and show her what dress she planned to wear to her daughter's wedding the following week. The family disagreed about what color the dress was based on the photo, so the daughter posted it on Facebook to see what others thought. And then after the wedding, when people saw the dress in person and confirmed it was blue and black, the photo continued to confound people, so friend and wedding band member Caitlin McNeil posted the photo on Tumblr to get more opinions, and it all snowballed from there. But the important part is that the photo itself was what was unique, not the dress. There were some weird quirks of the photo, the poor quality from an old phone, the overexposure of part of the background, and underexposure of part of the dress. Wallace thinks that people disambiguated the confusing photo in different ways. Some people's brains overcorrected for the poor lighting conditions, for example. And after two years of research involving 10,000 participants, one strong pattern emerged. People who spent more time exposed to warm artificial lighting, so for example folks who worked at night or indoors, were more likely to say the dress was blue and black while people who spent more time in natural lighting saw white and gold. But as you might remember from your first and second and fourteenth time seeing the dress, none of them ever questioned what they saw. They weren't aware of this disambiguating that their brains were doing, it just happened, and what they saw is what they saw. 
and it seemed unbelievable that someone else could see it the other way. As McRaney described it, quote, the result was a lie told to them by their brains that felt obviously true, end quote. Wallace's lab called this the substantial uncertainty with ramified or forked priors or assumptions you will get disagreement, aka surf pad. And quoting further from McRaney, in other words, when the truth is uncertain, our brains resolve that uncertainty without our knowledge by creating the most likely reality they can imagine based on our prior experiences. People whose brains remove that uncertainty in similar ways will find themselves in agreement, like those who saw the dress as black and blue. Others whose brains resolve that uncertainty in a different way will also find themselves in agreement, like those who saw the dress as white and gold. The essence of surf pad is that both groups feel certain, and among the like-minded, it seems that those who disagree, no matter their numbers, must be mistaken. In each group, people then begin searching for reasons why those in the other group can't see the truth, without entertaining the possibility that they aren't seeing the truth themselves. End quote. And this is an important takeaway beyond color. Think about any big cultural debate right now. Wearing masks and getting vaccinated, teaching kids about racial justice, trans people and the challenging of gender beyond norms that have been taught in the dominant culture for generations. For topics that are new to some people and that are being introduced without a lot of context or time to process and fully understand, those people will fill in the gaps from the knowledge base they do have. In his latest release, The 90s, a book, Chuck Klosterman elaborates on this idea mostly through the example of the mainstreaming of African-American vernacular English among white audiences through hip-hop in the early 90s. Klosterman wrote, quote, This phenomenon of white-bred audiences suddenly confronting ideologies that minority groups had long considered inescapable parts of life accelerated during the first half of the 90s. Realities once ignored were rapidly transformed into narrative tropes, and this mass recognition of inequality would generate a parallel period of frustration and confusion. The frustration came from the marginalized, aghast that problems intrinsic to their lived experience were being turned into entertainment within the same moment they were acknowledged to exist. The confusion came from white consumers, many of whom did not understand the insular rules governing the cultural worldscapes they were absorbing for the first time. The friction was contextual. When white people engaged with a new language through a hip-hop album, it was seen as enlightening and mind-expanding. But the moment that engagement encroached upon regular day-to-day -day life, the response turned negative. End quote. Klosterman goes on to detail the freakout from white folks over an Oakland school district's acknowledgement of African-American vernacular English as the primary language for the majority of their black students. This was interpreted by some white people as AAVE replacing traditional English, or only AAVE being taught in schools now, except at the time, it was usually referred to as Ebonics, a term coined in the 1970s that was meant to recognize the merits, legitimacy, and unique grammatical structure of the language, but through the white freakout, the term became lampooned and occasionally offensive. As Klosterman astutely diagnoses, quote, language and concepts were advancing at different speeds, end quote. We can see that in so much right now. 
Trans topics are a big one. Trans people in various forms and fashions have existed throughout time and across cultures, even if the descriptive words have changed. But the words currently being used in English-speaking communities have been around within trans communities for decades or longer. So the words and concepts are nothing new to people within the community. But some of the concepts, when you haven't experienced them yourself or taken the time to listen to a trans person or confront what you've always been taught about the binary of gender and sexes by your culture and beginner-level science courses, it can be confusing. These new-to-you terms being thrown around without you being given the time to learn the concepts, it all may be even impossible or ludicrous-sounding. And if you're someone who prefers to fall back on what you already know about the world instead of taking the time to learn more, you might end up with some pretty roundabout explanations for why trans people exist or why they're, in your mind, suddenly everywhere and demanding so much of larger society. McGraney says a similar thing happened with the COVID-19 vaccines. Not having backgrounds in immunology or having lived through a pandemic that affected them before, many people relied on their existing experience with doctors, scientific institutions, and the government. And for a lot of people, that translated into skepticism. Skepticism that, for many, was bolstered by other skeptics' hawking of conspiracy theories. As he concludes, not so hopefully, quote, When we encounter novel information that seems ambiguous, we unknowingly disambiguate it based on what we've experienced in the past. But starting at the level of perception, different life experiences can lead to very different disambiguations, and thus very different subjective realities. When that happens, in the presence of substantial uncertainty, we may vehemently disagree over reality itself. But since no one on either side is aware of the brain processes leading up to that disagreement, it makes people who see things differently seem, in a word, wrong. End quote. To me, the dress will always be blue and black. I have never been able to see it as white and gold. But you know what? I trust that some people see it that way. I don't have to see it exactly the same way they do to respect their perception. So long as their perception of the dress being white and gold isn't, you know, actively threatening mine or others' safety and autonomy. Well, thank you for joining me again for our end-of-year best-of specials. I've had a lot of fun putting these together for you, and I hope you are equally enjoying some of these encore listens, or perhaps hearing some of these stories for the first time if you missed them before. But that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.